I'm really excited to get to interview this guy. Phenomenal industrial broker here in Dallas-Fort Worth market. Been doing it for 20 years. Also been one of my best friends for over 20 years and uh, had the opportunity to work with him on a lot of different things. And uh, it's Mr. Todd Hubbard from uh, NAI, Robert Lynn. So, Todd, thanks for being here with us today. No, man. I'm <laughs> excited to be here. I'm glad you're doing this. Yeah, no, it's fun. Uh, we we just got moved in this office and got this studio set up. So you're you're the first one on for this, and uh, great person to start with. Long tenure DFW, twenty tours of duty on uh, on the industrial streets, and uh, so Todd is the uh, managing principal and the Fort Worth president for uh, NAI Robert Lynn. Started back in '03, right? Yeah, yep. So, so. Todd, Todd, why don't you just kind of give us your background, tell us where you grew up, you know, we can kind of get into our lives at certain points and and just kind of start from there. Yeah, so I grew up in the small town of Early, Texas, which is a suburb of Brownwood, so great place to grow up, you know, but one thing about growing up there, you know, there was not much in the way of like business training or talking about goals or anything like that. It was just a good salt of the earth kind of place to grow up. My family, um, you know, my mom worked as a secretary at the school. My stepdad was a DPS communications officer. So that's kind of a fancy way of saying he was a dispatcher. So, uh, <laughs> but it, it was great. He makes incredible hot sauce though. Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> but uh, I grew up there. It was a bubble life for sure. I didn't really think about what was outside of that. Such a small kind of town mindset, but worked through high school in banking and then went to Howard Payne, which is a school in actually in Brownwood because my mom worked there as a secretary. So I got free tuition and yeah. it, it was great from that perspective, but I didn't get to really enjoy a college lifestyle until uh, I went to Lubbock and went there for, to get my MBA. And that's where our paths crossed. Yeah. So you know, it's funny. I, I don't know how many people I talk to in DFW. I'm like, oh, you know Todd Hubbard? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I go, you know, that's my roommate in college. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think it's, you know, we literally met in South Padre. We were all there with all, you know, there's a group of guys from Lubbock that I was friends with that were your friends from high school. Oddly enough, we all still hang out together. You know, we still, we have our lake weekend that you're so graciously to invite me to. <laughs> uh, so, uh, no. And, uh, you know, we were hanging out in Padre. And you're like, yeah, man, I'm coming to Lubbock for my master's. I go, well, where, where are you going to live? You're just like, I don't know. I was like, well, we can just live together. So that's, uh, that's, uh, we, we hit it off in Padre. And then from there on, we, we were roommates. So you're at tech. So getting your master's. Yeah, I got it. You know, I didn't, I took out a student loan both for living and for tuition. So I, I got my MBA in a year, which was, not advised, but I grinded and uh, got that. And then their big push at Tech was for their MBA program was uh, Career Day. And that was literally September 12th of 2001. <laughs> so that didn't happen. The job market crashed. And so I ended up at that same time, my stepdad got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and was in a bad way. And I moved back home to help out with the family and then it took some odd jobs just construction did some things and then i finally got on as an accountant at a fiber optic firm there in town and i knew very quickly that as much as i love that town it is not a place for an ambitious single young man yeah and so i was literally about to take a job for rubbermaid and you called me and I said, I'm going to do this. And I remember you said, if you think Brownwood's bad, El Paso's going to suck. <laughs> and you said, why don't you reach out to my brother? And Jeff at that time was an executive vice president at Robert Lynn. And I didn't know what commercial real estate was. And But I went and met 
with them. I remember I took a little puddle jumper plane because I was afraid to drive. And <laughs> oh my God, it was a terrible flight. And I I went in, but I did go and they were, I just knew they were smart, kind of intelligent guys that could lead me in a path of success. And that's kind of where I got started. Well, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> In my wildest dreams, man, I would never have imagined, you know, what what would take off from there. I mean, it really was a blessing for sure. So, you know, that's something that, you know, I was having a discussion with um, Summit Hogue about this, and it was like, you know, I grew up in Irving, you grew up in Brownwood. We didn't grow up in a commercial real estate world. It's pretty unbelievable how much money you can make in this industry if you just work your ass off. And that's really all it is, right? It's not, it, at the end of the day, brokerage is just, who's going to, who are you going to outwork? I, I kind of feel like I, it's, you know, and so, you know, talking about that, like, so like, it's very, it's going to get very interesting with the brokerage market right now, right? Like a lot of kids are, I call them kids because we're old now, but like, you know, they've never seen it bad. Yeah. And um, they're going to, they're going to, they're not going to do a lot of production next year. Yeah. You know, especially, especially a lot of guys started chasing these investment sales, got real hot over the past couple of years. And like, they didn't build a tenant rep base. They didn't build that. But, you know, I, I think the interesting thing about what I want to look for on this podcast is like, you know, you're an extremely successful broker. You're number four or five in NAI globally, which is how many guys are in NAI? A bazillion. Think, yeah, <laughs> a lot. A lot. So, I mean, that's that's impressive. You you went over to Fort Worth when NAI didn't even have a presence. Now you have 17, 20 people in that office over there that you run. Yep. So, like, what was Todd Hubbard doing? What, what did Monday through... Sunday look like for Todd Hubbard when he's living in an apartment in Irving and driving. And I mean, like, when are you in the office? When are you leaving the office? You know, this is when you're starting your career. What does that look like? Like, what did you do? Like, yeah. Well, I think the big thing was I was scared shitless. I mean, yeah. and there, that fear of failure still with me to this day. And maybe it's a blessing, also a curse. But, you know, I'd never let the pedal down. And and so when I got here, you know, and I've told this story before, but my grandparents didn't have much money at all, but they saved everything they had. And they, I told them I was taking this job and they looked at me like I was crazy. And so they didn't understand how I could survive, you know, on this small draw. So they stroked me a check for $15,000. And that was my driving force every day was I'm going to pay that back. Everything to me is about motivation, what gets you up in the morning. And that was it for me. I'm going to pay that check back. That was every day for me. So it was, uh, you know, get up early and work all day and come back and, and you know, work until it's time to go to bed. And I did without on the weekends. You know, I did not socialize much, you know, uh, maybe here and there, but I was hyper focused on being successful. Yep. And so with that is it's the grind and, yep. and it means, you know, you're, you're doing things when everybody else is off playing. And, and that was, I didn't even think about it. I wasn't in this mindset of, Oh, I wish I was out partying and having fun or anything like that. Trust me, you and I had plenty of fun in <laughs> yeah. Lubbock. I mean, yeah, so absolutely. Like, it's not like I'm not, Having fun in life, but I was so focused on not failing. And I remember I was on a cold call and I went in and, you know, like we all do, you you, you walk in and they can sense your fear. Yeah. And I walked in kind of stepping back, you know, <laughs> and I walk in to this door and it was in Haltom City and basically opened the door and there's 12 dudes in there at break. <laughs> And they're all like, oh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> and so I walk in, and I'm young, and they could tell it was like blood in the water. And they, I said, you know, kind of panicked. I'm like, what do you guys do? And they're like, we make dildos, oh, you know. God. And I knew. And I'm like, so literally after that, and I, they were messing with me, and I knew it. But I went to a parking lot on Downing <laughs> in North Fort Worth, and I just parked my car. And I thought, what the hell am I doing? 
<laughs> you know, what am I doing? <laughs> and I'd been calling every day and all this. And I made at that moment, I literally made the decision that I am not going back to Brownwood with my tail between my legs. I'm not going to do it. So I just said, I'm in it. Let's go. And from that point, that was my turning point. And it really was, you know, it's funny that that was what they said they did. It wasn't that. It was just more like, this is the grind. You, When you're calling, you're going to get beat up. You're going to get rejected. You're going to get made fun of. But it's amazing what confidence can do. Because once you get confident, you don't get kicked out anymore. Right. You don't walk in, walking backwards. People sense that. Once you get rid of that, it's a whole new ball game. You, you know, it's... You and I have do- knocked so many doors. The, uh, you, you know, I'll tell you a story about a deal I made one time, and it was, you know, you just kind of get, you know, probably in fairness to the gatekeepers, they get so many people coming in. They don't, you know... They get the co- they view you as the same as the guy selling the copier machine, but you're literally there to talk about the largest asset that the owner of that company probably really owns. It's probably worth more than his actual company's worth. Yep. And um, so you know, there, there's actually some valuable information behind us. You know, even though sometimes a lot of people don't treat us that way. You know, when you're when you're brokering and, but you know, the persistence of it. I, there was a guy I called on in Brook Hollow for four years straight. I went in there every month would never see me. I got him on the phone one time. He laughed at me and hung up. And then one day he calls me and goes, I need to buy a 50,000 foot building right now. They're kicking me out of my building. And I sold him a building. I don't think I've talked to him since. He won't talk to me again. <laughs> but, but when the time came, you know, the persistence of, you know, just be showing up, you know, and that's, that's kind of what I, what I was saying earlier in brokerage. It's, it's just being consistent, man. Yeah. And, and um, that's the, you know, I think that's the challenge with, you know, raising younger brokers is like getting them to understand and to buy into that. Like, look, man, you know, you did two thirds of the work this week, you know, like you got to do all of it, you know. And so I think that's something that anybody working on you can see that, that there's been years of that done. So it's, a, you know, if you're fortunate enough to work at NAI Robert Lynn, there's some really great brokers over there probably one of our top service providers over here at Matador for um, acquisitions. And, um, you know, but uh, the the grind of it all is, it's, it's a real grind. So. Well, no, that's true. I, I read something one time and it resonated with me. And it's basically like most salespeople call on someone three times and they don't ever call on them again. Right. And so there is this kind of method to the madness of you've got to build a brand and a lot of times building that is just like what you just said they don't want to talk to you but when they want to talk to you and need to talk to you they remember who is that guy that's been consistently coming by and i can't tell you how many times like what your story was is is so true you know you call on someone 25 times and then all of a sudden your phone rings and you see that name yeah and it's like see there it goes i mean it, it And it's being, to me, it's being pleasant and persistent and having good information. And if even if you miss them, you know, leaving something valuable that they're going to remember you by. Yeah. That's all it is. Well, you know, so that, that, uh, that kind of leads me to something that you and I both actually did. And we, we read a book called The Greatest Salesman in the World, you know. I got turned on to it. I was reading an article about Matthew McConaughey and he said he read that book and it was great. So I was like, I got it. And I was like, Jeff, you need to read this too. And, and, you know, I think Jeff gave it to everybody at Robert Lynn, you know, but, but not everybody did it. You know, a lot of people say, you know, Oh, I read that book. Well, no, that book takes 10 months to read. And, uh, if you read it properly and, you know, as crazy it is today, Isabella in our office showed up with a copy of it today. So I wanted to read something in there. What I thought was very interesting and very relatable to brokerage. And it says, 
The career I have chosen is laden with opportunity, yet is fraught with heartbreak and despair, and the bodies of those who have failed where they piled one on top of another would cast a shadow down upon all the pyramids of the earth. That's one of my favorite quotes from that book that yeah. just gave me the chills. I mean, I, I not only, I've still got that in my office, and it is worn out. It's shredded. I saw it's, it the it, other day. It's yeah. worn out because I continued. And they actually came out with The Greatest Salesman in the World 2, yeah. which is kind of great for once you've been in and been somewhat successful to take it's a reminder of kind of what got you there and but yeah i mean i i read i treated that book like the bible in a lot of ways because it it was those types of statements and even you know there's one that's like no matter how great your map is if you don't act it's worthless. Yeah. So you and and you see that in our business. There's so many brokers that get stifled with this idea that I've got to have the perfect plan. Right. But no plan's good if you're not acting on it. Right. So I, for me, when I'm training agents, I'd rather them just go out and do something. Yeah. Than sit around and try to perfect a plan that they're not going to act on. And that comes from that book. And I and I think it's I, I used to. And still do when I think about it. But when I was making cold calls early on, there's a there's a little little excerpt from that book that talks about how you convey yourself to someone. Yeah. And in there, it says something like, "Under your breath, before you approach someone, say to yourself, I love you.'" Right. And it, I would do it on every call, mm-hmm. and I would say. To myself, not obviously to them, I love you to that person. And it just like almost melted away that anxiety. It's disarming. It's so disarming. Yeah. And, it, and it works. And it's all the book is all about mindset. And it for what we do, it's such a grind. It's such a up and down every day. And so if you can read things like this, it just reinforce these great positive thoughts. Yeah. It's a game changer and a life changer because I think it's applicable to far more than just sales. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's a life. It's, it's applicable to everything. Yeah. You know, it really is. And so it it's uh, for those who haven't done it, it's I would highly encourage it. Yeah. I did it, man. And uh, I tried to do it again. I got about like two months in and yeah. I was like, well, I've done this already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's just such a good thing, you know? So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was very happy it showed up in my office today. So yeah, no, I, I think awesome. mine finally just fell apart. I yeah. don't know it's done. So, well, I think that's, you know, something to, to for all these young guys to really think about that are, that want to get into this business. As much as you have social media and email and all that stuff, real estate is a people business and it's it's all relationship based. And um, if you're not out there making relationships with people, you're really you're not gonna you're you have some success, but you won't be you know one of the top guys for sure. No doubt. And to your point earlier about <laughs> this market and what's changing, I think we're about to see the cooling of the herd. Oh yeah. To your point about these brokers that have been in the business maybe less than five years, they have not seen what they're about to see and and maybe what we're already seeing. I mean, so it has been such a fortunate market here, not only Dallas-Fort Worth, but for those doing industrial, really all product types have, have flourished, believe it or not, in DFW. And so... Now here here it comes for the first time in a long time. This this thing has been running. We've been in the ninth inning for twenty innings, right? And <laughs> and now we're definitely. I feel like we're in the ninth inning. So it'll be interesting because I do think everyone thinks, "Oh man, this is easy." Yeah. And if you timed it right and you got in where it was so easy that senior brokers are just handing deals off to junior brokers because they don't have time to work on them. You know that's going to end. Yeah. Now yeah, the senior brokers are going to start. Yeah. You know, I heard some, uh, I had an office broker tell me. You know, I was, he's like, "Yeah, we do B and C offices." I was like, man, I feel like that would be like a good place to be tenant repping right now. I feel like you could bring a lot of value. And For he's sure. like, he goes, "You know, the issue is, is all the senior guys are pocketing those deals now because they don't have any deals to work on. So they don't. We don't get to see a lot of them. He's in a bigger shop, you know. But you know, to to your point, like people aren't going to be dishing things out anymore because they're going to make ends meet. You know. Yeah. And, um, I think, uh, you know, 
it's like I, I was telling our team here yesterday, I was like, I'm prepared that we buy nothing next year. I'm literally gathering cash reserves that we buy nothing. And yeah. we sit here and burn all year long. Yeah. But we might have be what we have to do and just operate, you know, and that's fine. That's, you know, there, there'll be a calling of a herd in, in the in the acquisition side of things too, you know. For sure. So a lot of a lot of people jumped into that and weren't well capitalized or didn't have a real good plan or were all over the place. So well, let me ask you this. What's the diciest situation you've been in on the street when you're cold calling? Or give me a funny Todd Hubbard uh, story because there's there's tons of them. Uh, the, the dildo one was good, but I know you got another one. So Yeah, well, I think one of my <laughs> yeah. That I do have a bunch. But I, one of one of the more embarrassing ones was I had been calling on this company for a long time and I got uh up to the receptionist and she kind of shut me down, but I'd noticed that all the executives were in this conference room. And so I, and they were in a meeting. And so I got so distracted looking to see if the guy I was looking for was in there that as I was leaving the building, I went, instead of opening the door, I went face first into glass. <laughs> And it left like this grease mark on the glass and it knocked me down to where everyone came running out of the conference room to check, kind of check on me. And I, I kind of got up and I said, I'm okay. I said, but next time, remember me, I'm the real estate guy that's been coming by. And they're like, I said, remember me as a dude that left this grease yeah. stain on your glass. Did it work? Did you end up making a deal yeah, with them? Yeah, actually did. So I, I use that that one every time I talk to them and they all still remember it. That's one that sticks out. There's been a bunch, but that was, that was a good one. That same, the next building down, I tried to, I had to hurry up and shut this gate and I ran to jump in my car and it was raining, pouring rain. And when I went to jump in my car, I hit the tip of the, the car door on my forehead and I went and I had to go drop this key off and I go in and I'm just bleeding literally <laughs> down my face. And the secretary's like, oh, my God. And I ended up having like a little uh, horn out of my head. So there's so many, man. I can't even think about it. It's one of those things now. I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. But uh, yeah, I've you definitely. remember running into that glass. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I've definitely embarrassed myself many a time. But I think the fun part about the business is if you can twist that, you know, it, you, being memorable sometimes is being stupid yeah, and being funny. And I think people, you know, sometimes you just make fun of yourself and people appreciate that. So, yeah. yeah. And I'm good at that because I there's a lot to make fun of. Well, that's... <laughs> so... We could have a whole episode yeah. on, on Toddisms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know that better than most, yeah. for sure. So, well, let's just kind of talk about real quick like for any people getting into this business what are the habits and routines that you, you feel that you know these are the things that you're always going to do without fail and this always has worked for you i'm a big believer in early mornings uh, i you know when i've hired a lot of folks that don't necessarily subscribe to that but i can tell you without fail most of the top producers if not all of them or early risers, it's just yeah. the business day starts typically at about 8 a.m. So if you're rolling in at 8, it's already started. Yeah. And if you're not prepared by then, you've wasted a good chunk of the day of your prep time. Yeah. So I think that's number one. Number two is I always have a to-do list at the end of every day before I start the next day. It's number one. It's good for a peace of mind because at the end of it all, if it when you're doing high level transactions and a lot of them, it, the, if you're not organized, you're going to be a mental wreck. Yeah. And so it's good for just like mental stability, but it's also that next morning when you do get in, you can start attacking the day. Yeah. And I think that's it. And I, so I think being organized and being there early and really trying to get the items that don't require talking to someone done before the day starts is so critical. Yeah. And it's funny though, cause, um, and I, I work every weekend I have for 20 years and that doesn't, I do it while my kids and wife are still asleep, but I get my week organized every week. I've done it 
every weekend because it number one again it goes back to me feeling like I can actually relax and have a good weekend. Right. If I don't do that, I'll be thinking about what I need to do. And so I think so much of of what we do is just being on top of everything. And so that that's it. I think those are the big ones. I think also just having a system to keep yourself out of the email craziness. Yeah. You know, so I, I got on the sane email program, which is just it takes all your junk mail and puts it into one file and you can look at it at the end of the day. But I keep folders for every deal and I try to keep my inbox down to a minimum because otherwise I get lost in it. So what was that? You said the sane email program? Is yeah. it like an app or something yeah, that you attach to your email? Yeah. It basically takes all your emails <laughs> and puts them into folders of like, this is something you can look at later. This is probably news that you don't need. So really my inbox stays focus to just the deal stuff. Yeah. A couple of the young guys in our office introduced me to it and it's a game changer. So that, that kind of leads into my, my next question. Like what are any other softwares or any other kind of tools you use other than the obvious ones like CoStar? And I know you guys use Act still, I think is your database, but like any other softwares or anything like that that you use that you really like? And yeah, I mean, we, we, we don't use Act cause we want to, it's just such a big, thing to try to swap databases we've looked at it and try but we are constantly trying to find new stuff and so we do it every week we're looking and, and implementing new tools i think it's so important to do but we've got one now where we're trying to do and have done a good amount of institutional leasing and we've basically done this development pipeline map, which shows all the developments, what's leased, what hasn't leased. And it's a lot of work to get going and also to maintain, but we keep that updated constantly. We are using a couple of new programs. I'm not sure yet how they're going to work out. I'll tell you more about those once we get them implemented. But I think it's like, you know, being old school is good in a lot of ways, like the fundamentals of cold calling and relationship, you know, handling all that the right way. But if you're not always trying to sharpen your saw and, and get better with all the technology that I, that's out there, then you're missing the boat. Yeah. And so we're way behind, like on the AI front and yeah. we're trying to get, we're trying to get that front and center now. And, you know, I think does things like abstracting a lease. I mean, we, we've done it here. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, why, why waste time on stuff? I mean, the, now you can do things in 20 seconds when it take you 30 minutes. Well, we found it really helpful too, for like just easy legal language that doesn't have, you know, it's not a, it's not a 150,000 foot lease we're doing with a corporate tenant. It's just like, Oh, we got to add this little section to the special provisions and Give us something for that. And yeah. it gives it good enough, right? Yeah. Like not worth calling an attorney to write that language and, and go do that. So that we've we've capitalized on that too. So. Yeah. And there's a lot of company like Fort Capital where they've got their own internal AI system now. And it's going to be a game changer for those that are ahead of the game. So, I, you know, that's something we're trying to be more on top of. But yeah, I mean, because to me, all of these things matter. To a point, it still comes down to relationship at the right. end of the day. It's real. It it's is. real estate. It's it, real. It is. You have to go touch it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So. And the one thing, and I, I did a training last year for NAI, came out of retirement to do that. And the one thing that just boggles my mind the most about our business is how poor customer service is in our industry. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down to entitlement. Some of the brokers think, I don't know, for whatever reason, there's just this level of entitlement. And the reality of it is, is that we are there to service a client. Yeah. And, and, and get I, paid very well to do and, so. Yeah. And I just always say, put yourself in the shoes of someone that, let's say you're trying to buy a house and you put your offer in and you know it's competitive and you don't hear from your real estate agent. Yeah. You know, when your client doesn't hear from you, it's the same feeling. It's like, what? are they doing? Yeah. You don't ever want your client looking for you or wanting an update. It's always 
flooding them with information to the point where they know you're on top of their game, which their game's a big game to them. So there's nothing worse than having a listing and your owner's calling you for the update. Yeah. You see that phone call, you're like, oh my gosh, I have not updated That's this guy. terrible. You know, I'm guilty of it. I've done it before. It's funny now that I have leasing agents leasing stuff for me. It's like, I call them, I'm like, hey. They're like, oh, oh hey. I'm like, yeah, I'm on the other side of the phone call now. I'm like, I haven't heard from you. Well, we've been, and, and, you know, we implemented a system on that where every two weeks we send out an email and then we got a, a little system where you can click on a link and it'll go to all the activity. Yeah. And it's just systematic. That way yeah. they're getting an update. Now you're hopefully still talking to them, but every two weeks at a minimum, you can see something that they can see it. Yeah. And so I think just that level of communication so, so paramount to the business. But I, I made a comparison. It's like you go out to the best steakhouse in town mm -hmm. and they make you the best steak you've ever had, but your service sucks. Yeah. What are you saying to Tammany when you get in the car? You're not talking about how great that steak was. No. You're talking about how shitty the service was. Yeah, and I'm pissed. That's it. So <laughs> yeah. you can go negotiate the best deal in the world, but if you did a shitty job of customer service, they're yeah. not going to use you again. Right. That deal doesn't matter. Right. It's the service level that you give them and how they feel about the deal at the end of the day. And so, but people get lost on that. It, brokers get lost on that. They Sometimes they try to over-broker, over-negotiate, but they're not taking care of their client. And it's crazy to me. You know, reporting is kind of frustrating in a way. Yeah. But it's also accountability for yourself. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I feel like I see now like at Mercer Company, they've got a good centralized system for reporting. But back in the day, you know, we were, there was only like four or five of us there. So it was kind of like you're kind of on your own to do your own owner reporting. You know, you can manage it through ACT. You know, it was all in there. Getting guys to actually manage it through ACT was, you know, you know, pulling teeth sometimes. But like I used to, I would tell owners and pitches, I was like, hey, here's how I'm going to report to you. And I created my own template. And I was like, this isn't for you. It's for me. Yeah. You know, this is for, you know, you're going to get information out of it. This is for me to see how my performance is, because if I'm not, if I'm not having so many showings, if I'm not having so many, you know, having so many inquires, so many showings, you know, inquires leads to showings, showings lead to proposals, you know? And so like, if I'm not getting, you know, 20 showings and working two to three deals in six months, then something's wrong, you know? Exactly. And it's almost like if you're not going to not only report, but get back to the brokers inquiring on your property. Yeah. Quick, we do it in 30 minutes. I mean, anybody, if you ask around, if they inquire on a property, somebody's getting back to them within 30 minutes. Yeah. And that's just something I've implemented because we we want to be the most responsive. And But if you can't do that, then don't take the listing. Right. It's a disservice to yourself and to that owner. If you can't get back in a quick time and if you can't report then don't take it do something else your time yeah. obviously either you're not good at your job or you don't have time to do it I, I think a lot of brokers have a hard time really realizing they are what they are yeah you know and not you know i think it's funny sometimes you know i love to ask well i love to ask jeff jackson stuff you know he'll, yeah. he'll bring me something and it's like a small bay project and i'm like jeff you want to lease this don't you he's like no 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 no, no. <laughs> i'm like i know i know you don't you know what i mean but at least he's like you know i mean but younger brokers like oh yeah yeah i'm all over that it's yeah. like do you really want to do this like yeah. i mean if you want this you, you can have it you know, you know chase miller showed me a building the other day and he's like i go you ain't gonna lease this are you he goes no <laughs> so we went and hired uh somebody else you yeah. know he didn't but, care, but at least he knew what he was. That's it. That's he, the thing. And he knew uh, the, the, the time, you know, he's like, I can go sell another building and make way more than I ever make on leasing on this thing. So, you that's know, right. I think, uh, I think brokers sometimes covet a lot of, a lot of things that they probably shouldn't, you know? And uh, so I think that that's hard for them to like, not take every listing or say no to something. I think saying no to things is a lot more powerful than saying yes sometimes. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it's just people get overly competitive or they, like you say, they act like they're going to do it. But, you know, it's just like the one thing, too, I tell brokers, you know, is similar to that is there's an event in our business all the time. Like you could go to a happy hour here or do this or do that. I learned early on, say no. 
Yeah. Say no. Because, yeah. man, you got to have time. I mean, I've, my family time is way more important, number one, and that's the big thing. But number two, it, it, only use the things that are going to be valuable to you. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Take a listing that you're going to be excited to work on. Right. Or if you're going to go, there are events that are super valuable. Go to those. Don't just go to something just because you, you can go hang out and have a couple of cocktails. It's a it's a waste of time. I went to the BizNow Industrial Summit and I watched the first panel. And um, nobody acted like the world was kind of falling. I'm kind of like, some bad shit out there, but everybody, you know, patient capital, core infill, blah, 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 blah. I was like, after the first panel, I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Waste of my time. Well, I think a lot of people are trying to convince themselves that everything's going to be fine. And I, I do think we're insulated in Dallas Fort Worth for sure. But <laughs> we are, but I think rental rates are going to come down. I feel that. It'll be interesting. I think it's submarket by submarket, though, because yeah. I think if you look at certain submarkets, there is like North Fort Worth's a great example where what's on the ground today is going to be built. But after that, there is no land left. And yeah. so then you get into this and no one's developing now. So you're going to have as assuming leasing velocity stays kind of on the pace that it is today. There's going to be a supply gap in certain markets. Now, South Dallas is going to get crushed. Yeah. And because there's just not enough velocity there to keep up with with the supply that's already on the ground. And I've read something the other day it could take four to five years to absorb at, it, to absorb it at today's leasing velocity. If leasing velocity <sighs> slows down, it could be even longer. And then there's certain other submarkets where vacancy rates like the Forney submarket. I, I read something where it was going to be 50 percent vacancy rate just because there was such a flocking to that because there is available land. It makes sense on a map that all these developers... But it's 40. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and and so, you know, and maybe... the But there's not much there. So 50% is a little skewed because one deal could change that. Right. So, but I do think it'll be interesting. I've always said the tipping point, especially on the shallow bay stuff, because everyone's always so you can't replace it. You know, you can't... You can't build it. There's no land left. No one's building it. You can keep pushing these rates. The tipping point is when you charge so much for rent that these guys can't stay in business. So that's something I've kind of seen a lot of. You know, we buy a lot of these small bay deals with this mark-to-market opportunity on it. And, to, you know, you know, I saw a deal that Fortin, I think I was listening to Chris Powers and Susan Gruppy talking about, oh, we're going to get $20 net rents on these small bay things. I'm like, I hope you do, because I will benefit from that. Yeah. But at some point, you know, I still work my renewals for my clients and stuff like that. And like I watched a renewal the other day go from five twenty five coming off five year renewal to ten fifty net. Yeah. You literally just waxed the small business owner's salary. Yeah. So now he's just working to pay you, landlord. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and I, uh, the problem is the demand has been there for the landlord to be like, if you don't like it, you can leave. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, but I do think at some point, like, you know, and I've done it a couple different ways. I've gone into business parks that we've bought and I snap necks immediately, raise rents, got away with it. I've taken the approach on a couple new ones where it's like, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to try to ease y'all into this, you yep. know, yep. you know, it doesn't matter what you do. No one's, no one's happy at you for it. I always take the approach that, you know, we, we got to sell our things for market, you know, so does that business. But to your point, like, I mean, at some point people are gonna be like, I'll just go work somewhere. Yeah. This is, this is not sustainable. You know, there's only so many credit tenants in that size range. So then you've got right. your plumbers and your electricians. And to your point, if you're a plumber and you're working your ass off and having to go unclog toilets and all, and you're making no money because your rent's so high. Yeah. Where's your choice there? Yeah. At some, maybe that's all you can do. I don't know. But I do think it. it's now the good news is the market's continuing to grow and there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of new homes, new residents. And so innately, 
things will probably work themselves out, but I do think that there's a fundamental flaw in the thought that you can keep pushing rents forever. I just don't see it. And even for the corporations, the big box stuff, I mean, at some point now, if you listen to Dalfin and he, Sean Dalfin on Fort podcast, same thing. I mean, he had these incredible statistics about how transportation is such a bigger part than your rent. And I, I truly believe that. And that probably is what pushes those and continues. But then competition comes in. So now it's supply and demand. Yeah. So it, does it make sense for someone that's paying, you know, eight fifty a foot in a different submarket to go down to South Dallas and get $4 a foot? Yeah. Can they get the labor down there? I don't know. That There's a lot more that goes into it. But it is, there's so many kind of tipping points here yeah. in this market now that, that no one can honestly sit here and tell tell anyone what's going to happen because we don't know. You know, I, so I was, there was a developer I worked with for a while that we never, we never really made a deal, but they're, they're out of state developer. And, and I did a lot of studies for him and I was looking, you know, looking down in South Dallas and I was like, I was like, man, I don't know what to tell you here. Like, I think you better take the bet and build a minimum of a million square footer down here. Yeah. Like, I was like, I think, I feel like this is like the place for big, big stuff. And, you know, and I don't know. And I know people that have, you know, the two fifties to four hundreds that are just sitting down there. Yeah. You know? The challenge down there is labor. Yeah. There's no houses. And so now you're trying to get these people to commute. And you're trying to pay them the same wage range, right? And they're having to travel an additional twenty, you know, miles a day. And then you do the math on that, just on gas cost, and and it's still such a competitive labor market. And that that's what's still so astounding to me is that the you know the government's trying to manipulate everything, but the labor numbers are have been resilient, crazy resilient. Yeah. And so that may be our bet. You know, and where we come out of this thing more quickly than than anyone anticipates, just because there's still a lot of jobs. But I will say, I've noticed, and you can look, there have been more subleases hit the market in the last, call it, two months than I've seen in the last five years. That's the start. It really is. Yeah. And what's crazy, like if you look just like North Fort Worth, which is a pocket I'm super familiar with. There's been like three deals, sizable, big deals where the tenants never moved in. Ten-year leases, massive tenant improvement deals, air-conditioned warehouses, heavy foundations, never moved in. And so is that, I don't know, is that a coincidence? Is it, who knows, but it's just, it feels like corporate America is nervous. Probably are. And they should be. So I think users will have the opportunities to buy some of these developed buildings. They have, and they will, and they are. And I think you're going to see for sure the developers are, you know, because, I mean, honestly, the comps on those, there's been a couple sold here in the last 90 days. There's like three comps that are astounding. And so the developers, I mean, man, talk about getting out of jail free. Yeah. It's, uh, they're still getting, there was a, we sold a deal in South GSW that was 45,000 feet for $211 a foot. Brand new building. Brand new building. It had a couple thousand feet of office in it. There was one, I believe it was in Coppell. It was 150,000 feet. I'm, these are all ballparks. I don't remember the exact square footage, but it sold for $220 a foot. So, I mean, from a developer standpoint, that math still works very nicely. Yeah. And you're taking up lease up risk off the table. Yeah. And uh, your interest rate that's on your note that's coming due. Yep. Any TIs gone. And so I do think you'll see more of that, especially for from these um, kind of fee developer deals. Or yeah. You still have your long-term holders out there that will just not do it because, you know, they're in funds. and But yeah, the fee development market, it, it, there was a point that I think it was at the peak, there was like 130 industrial developers in DFW. That's insane. Well, so I've kind of heard this and I I believe this, but I think development is always, it never correlates to supply and demand. It correlates to the cost of capital. Yeah, I agree. And 
and the, land and land yeah. and land. Yeah. And there was a lot of land. There and was. It got gobbled up and people just threw up buildings. And it was like, by the time you started tilting the walls, you had a tenant. Yeah. And most of those folks, because the market was so crazy, they all did good. Yeah. They all did well. But those days have changed. And now the land availability is another issue, I think, in Dallas, Fort Worth that we're going to see for the first time. Because I just ran a very large deal with a user that was coming to market to DFW. They had multiple locations, but they were adamant that they wanted to own. And it was really surrounding their infrastructure costs. They've got you know, a substantial amount and automation. I'm talking yeah. a lot of money. So they get a, if they lease, they get a gun put to their head when they renew yeah. and they can't move. And most yeah. landlords are just not going to pay that. It's right. just, I mean, you're talking a lot. And so we did this two year land search and we were looking for call it 60 to a hundred acres. And number one, it was a terrible time to be doing it because the developers had gobbled up every site. Yeah. So there are very little sites anywhere in DFW of that size that that could be acquired. But what I learned through that deal, which was insane to me, the first time I'd seen it in the 20 years I've been doing it, is now these municipalities, they don't want industrial anymore. Yeah. Flower Mound with, you know, Crow Holdings had a development there that they were trying to do. And they had 500 people show up with no warehouse shirts on. And that deal got knocked down. And a lot of it's just because the truck traffic's real. I yeah. mean, if I'm in a neighborhood, I don't want a lot of truck traffic next to me. I right. get it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Mansfield had a 75-acre site that is in the middle of an industrial park. They got a new city council. And... They have been one of the most business-friendly municipalities that we've ever dealt with. This is the perfect buyer. I'm talking like big, big wages, nicest. It'll be, it will be the nicest industrial building in DFW once it's done. I mean, it's crazy. We couldn't even get a meeting with the city manager <laughs> because they, they and the truck traffic for this particular user is less than most distributors by a lot. But they didn't want any more truck traffic. It's like, well, what user is going to go to a 70-acre site with no truck traffic? Yeah. I don't care. If it's a manufacturer, they still have to have truck traffic. Right. So now I think you're seeing this push against trucking, especially in these higher-end areas. of you know, Mansfield's a really nice town. Yeah. Flower Mound's a really nice town. But... It's a change, and it's something we haven't seen before. And if you look at land availability, it's like there's just not many quality sites left. So it's going to mm -hmm. be very interesting to see once we get through this, that next cycle is going to hit. How far out are we going? Yeah. You know, because Forney, Forney's far out there. Yeah, Sanger. People yeah, are going to be going to Sanger. Sanger. I mean, I know Jerry Jones is sitting on land up in Sanger. Yeah, that's so. a good bet. It is. That's what, you know, we, we subscribe to I-35 here. So, um, yeah, but, uh, that's interesting because it, the, the music is stopping right now. So, yeah. well, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out and maybe when the next cycle comes, we're done. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. That's the one thing, man, when you do it every day, all day for 20 years, it, you get exhausted. Yeah. And so I do think, you know, as you get further along in the business, it is important to finally, uh, you know, I took years where I wasn't taking care of myself yeah, and just being healthy. And because and, it's people have said it's a young man's game. It's not. It's a high energy game. Yeah. So I don't care how old you are. Yeah. If you got energy, you can do it. Right. And but you've got to find the way to get the energy. And some of that is taking care of yourself. It's like new motivations. You know, for me. Fear of failure is still a motivator even to this day, but I've got other motivators now, and it's like your kids. and yeah. trying to, So you've got to keep trying to dig as you evolve in the business to find new ways to get yourself that energy. Because right. without it, I mean, it's it's very, very difficult because it is. It's, it's a grind. I haven't I talked to someone the other day, and it's like, yeah, I've taken vacations, and I've but I have not unplugged in 20 years. Transactional work doesn't allow you to do it. It doesn't. <laughs> and that, you know, it'll, it, it will take a toll on you. So you just got to 
what I've found, and I told Anita this on one of my vacations where uh, we were last year, it's like I was about, I needed, I was like, I'm desperate. I need this vacation. And we get there and I'm about four days in and about the fourth day, I'm like, yeah, I kind of like grinding. Yeah, okay, I'm I, good. I, I, I got it out of me. <laughs> What's going I'm on? I'm a grinder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is, uh, you, you just got to find the way. And it's, uh, it's, you know, I've always said it's, it's not a difficult business. Anyone can do it, but it's such a mental game. Oh, yeah. And if you sure. do not have that mental fortitude, then this is not the game for you. No, not at all. Well, I want to I want to wrap things up with some some trivia for you. I, I'm going to fail here, man. No, no, I told you. You might. Yeah, so Todd has a very deep vault of sports knowledge. And when we were roommates, <laughs> I used to lay around and read off drafts. And I'd say, who is the six-round pick for the Raiders in the 1997 draft? And he'd be like, oh, so-and-so from Wyoming or something. So I got two two draft picks for you. Who did the Cleveland Browns take first in the 1999 NFL draft? Tim Couch. Correct. And who did New Orleans take at number five in the 1999 draft? Ricky Williams. Yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, I didn't have any more. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's pretty no, good. You that know, was not scripted, people. You know what's <laughs> funny is that the older I get and the more involved I am with my kids, especially their sports and stuff, I don't have I don't have the energy to do sports like I used to because yeah. especially it's so tiring being like a Dallas Cowboys fan. Yeah, it's exhausting. It really is. <laughs> so I, and it, but the Rangers was a fun run. That was cool. That was cool. You know, I, I know, you know I coached my son's football team for seven years until he got into junior high. I didn't watch football for seven years. I was so mentally worn out from coaching football. But now I enjoy it again. <laughs> Back to watching it, I'm all into it. So. Well, my son Ryder had his uh, first season and it was a shocker because he's so small and I didn't I didn't know I was shocked that he even wanted to play and he gets out there and he's like a little scrapper he's baller oh yeah he, he, oh, I see all the videos yeah. I, I love I, I message Anita every time on Instagram she puts them up I'm like <laughs> I want more of these I don't care about families about your I don't want pictures of your family I want more rider highlights yeah <laughs> he, he was such a and he got on such a good team and it, they they made a run and they went undefeated and they played a team that they'd beaten previously in the semis to go to the Super Bowl is what they call it. And they got beat and overtime uh, got tackled on the one yard line for the two point conversion. God. And man, I've never been that like mentally exhausted yeah, after that game. It's a lot. It is. Cause you, it, and the kids are all balling and, but it's fun, man. And it's uh, my big thing for, for him is just, he, I love seeing him work hard and yeah, you know, I, I tell, tell him, and I think it for it, that will serve you well in life. He he's not going to play Division One football. He's he's we cursed him with bad genetics. <laughs> but if he can learn to be a little grinder now, yeah, whether he does real estate or whatever, man, it it will serve him well. So I'm I'm proud of his work ethic. For that's sure. awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well. That's all we got for today, Todd. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, this man, is this really, is awesome. This is good. We'll have you back on again for sure because your knowledge of the DFW industrial market is extremely deep. So, but thanks again, man. Love having you, and uh, we'll see you around. Awesome, all fun, right. man. Thank you.